Hey, welcome to the Night Church Podcast, where we meet every Friday evening for worship at the Loma Linda University Church for young adults by young adults. We hope this encourages you and someone else you know. Enjoy. We've been in a series called Faithful, uh, a guide to living in a post-Christian world. We started in Daniel chapter 1, learned some principles, understanding that preparation for the challenge that you face is so important. The idea of being in community with others, going through the journey, we saw that there will be understandings that are very different than yours, and you can't back down. You have to be ready to stand up for what you believe And you also, we learned last week, have to be thoughtful that there are various ways that Christ and culture impact each other, and you have to learn how to navigate that thoughtfully as the Holy Spirit speaks into your life, that you would be someone who can be an influencer for the kingdom. Tonight, we enter into a different space. Last week, we left Daniel 3 with a king who said, listen... I don't want any other kingdom to come up instead of my own. And so just worship me. Worship my kingdom. And now this weekend we see what the eventual demise is when we start moving into a me-centered mentality. I remember when I was in uh, high school and one of my history professors, teachers there, he said, I want you all to write a certain paper One week it said, everything is about me. Interesting paper. Seemed very perfect for a high schooler. I started writing all kinds of things. It is obviously all about me. And then he threw a spin for us the next week. He said, now everything is not about you. Ooh, now he was challenging us significantly. You know, it's interesting, when we're going throughout our life, there are various things that will cause us to make sure everyone understands, listen, it's just me. I'm going through this. You don't understand. You have no idea. Listen, we're all going through stuff. Reality check, buddy. I'm not going to be just sitting here with your pity party all the time. It's hard to be in the presence of someone who thinks life is only about them. But imagine having three of those people in your house, and they're all under four. Little kids. They're always, it's all about me, my mom, and I'm crying. And then you grow up, and you realize, wow, some people are still like that. Shoot. No, but hopefully you grow up, and you realize, wow, life is not just about me. This evening, we enter into the text, and we have to ask ourselves a really important question. When we're talking about being faithful in a post-Christian world, what do we do in a society that's always trying to point to itself and lift up its glory, lift up its God, and lift up what it wants you to emulate? What happens to a society that continually starts pointing to itself? It's all about me. It's all about what I'm going to do. It's all about me having my moment, my 15 minutes. It's about me. Some of us live in this envious space as we scroll through our 
social media and we find ourselves breaking the Tenth Commandment as people are shining their moment to us. I had my moment. And then we all get envious. I wish I had that moment. I wish life would be about me at that moment. What do we do when a culture promotes this ideology as being what life should be about? Self and selfishness. Look at me. Look at me. Amazing God, I pray that this evening we would be humbled. I pray that this evening, Jesus, we would be able to move beyond ourselves and see that there is a greater purpose to our existence than even us. Lord, my prayer is that my friends who walked through these doors would be touched by the Holy Spirit. That they would understand that each of their lives have so much more significance than they even realize. Holy God, I also pray that your word would come out clear. In Jesus' name, amen. There I was, standing at a moment, just wondering with Elena, are we going to get into this van? We don't know where it's going to lead us. We were on a tour in the Middle East. We didn't know anybody either. This is a tough moment. I have no idea who these people are. We could be taken to some place and who knows what happens to us. No one finds us. But we trusted because they said they're taking everybody to the baptismal area of Jesus. We trusted them. Sure enough, that's exactly where we went. To our happy surprise. And as we're sitting there in the car, in this van, we start chatting. Well, I should say more so I started chatting. Elena was like, There I started chatting with the person next to us and I found out they're from a different country. They came to see the space where Jesus was baptized. Wow. I thought I'm next to another Christian. I was like, man, brother, isn't it wonderful to see where Jesus was baptized, our Savior and Lord? This is so great. And he's like, I just went to go see where Jesus was baptized. He's not Lord and he isn't my Savior. Oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. I don't know why I made the assumption that why would anybody else be going there? But he started to explain to me that he got to being in this place just because he was curious. And so I asked him, well, well, then what do you think about the divinity of Jesus and that he's God? He's provided a way for salvation. And he's like, why would I need that? I'm a good person. Hmm. I see. I see. Now, the conversation kind of went on a little bit longer, but then I realized, wow, it's so interesting. We live in a culture that points to itself, but we live in a culture that also points to itself as being the supreme way of goodness as the answer to the ultimate need. That Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. You see, there's a consequence to our beliefs there's a consequence to our actions. There's a consequence both for good and for bad depending upon the action that we take. And so there I just thought to myself, man, what more could I tell this man? I realized there's not too much in that minute moment that I had with him, but I just started praying over him. Here we encounter now Daniel and his 
friends. They have been the ones who have found the notoriety of a whole kingdom. They found the praise of a king multiple times over. These people can interpret dreams. These guys can stand and not get burned. These people are literally of a different realm. They're aliens. I don't even know who they are. I can't believe who they are. And yet each time they pointed the king to the God above. And you would have thought he would understand at this point, listen, I got to start giving glory to this guy above because every single time I'm in a, in a tight spot and hardship, these guys have the answer and their God helps me out. No, that's not where he seems to have landed. You see, he gets this interesting dream once again. This time, instead of not telling the people that are around him the dream, he tells them the dream. He says, the dream that I dreamt, there was this huge tree in the openness of a field. And there it was such a large tree that it literally touched the sky. And it had such vast branches that it expanded across the distance. And it provided shelter for everyone. And it was beautiful. There gathered many things in people. But then a strange watcher came. And he said, you have reached too high and you've gone too far. I will cut off your branches and cut you down to the stub. Whew. And it troubled the king so much. And he told his astrologers and charlatans there, listen, this is what happened. But no one. Now this time they couldn't even interpret the dream. And then we enter into the text that we're going to look at tonight. Listen to what happens now in verse 19. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time. And his thoughts terrified him. For he said, so the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, my lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies for its meaning to or to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible for the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to wild animals, and having nesting places in its branches for the birds. Your majesty, you are the tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to the distant parts of the earth. Your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven saying, cut down the tree and destroy it. But leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain ground let them be drenched with the dew of heaven let him live with the wild animals until seven times has passed for him this is the interpretation your majesty and this is the decree the most high has issued against my lord the king you will be driven away from my people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox, and you will be drenched with dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you, listen to this, acknowledge 
that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms of the earth and gives that to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right in your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed, that it may be that you will prosper, that your prosperity will continue. Hmm. Strange dream, strange interpretation, and a strange story for us to think about. But I rest on this. That in the book of Romans, there at the last chapters, it says that all scripture is given for a purpose. So I ask myself, what's the purpose of this? Why this text? Why for us now? Why waste the time to share about this? Is it just about pride? Oh, well, a king needs to be humbled. Listen, we'll get to that. But you've got to also realize that Daniel was writing to a bunch of exiles who were living under the rule of of a tyrant king who believed he was everything to everyone and who wanted everyone to worship him regardless of the situation. The difficult thing is when you are under the thumb and authority of someone that is oppressive. I don't know how many of you have ever been in a situation where you want to leave as soon as you can. You wish you weren't in that situation, but you couldn't get out. Unfortunately, that happens sometimes even in our families. Certain parents that literally start becoming abusive. Maybe it's a relationship. You're with a person, whether a guy or a girl, and you're like, whoa, this is way too much. Maybe it's a friendship even, and a person begins to manipulate you so much that you're just, wow, what is going on here? This story was given to a people who were in exile, chained, placed in circumstances they didn't want to be in. And this came as a healing balm to them to realize, listen, we're in this hard spot right now, but God will make things right. God will make things right. So first off, we have to capture that in this post-Christian world, while it seems as though the scales are totally bent in a different direction than we might be used to or think should be around, the text here points to the reality that to those people back then, it's the same meaning to us. Even though at times as believers, we might feel like we're way in the minority. It feels as though if we even speak up our mind, everyone will persecute us. Even when it feels as though if you stand up for your beliefs and don't even say a thing, that people will push you aside. It doesn't matter because the thing is, the text points to the fact that God will make things right. The challenge is understanding that it will also happen in his time and his way. I wish I could speed up time and tell you that everything in your life that seems to be out of balance right now is just going to get totally fine. Like give it just a couple days, you'll be all right. Take a Tylenol, a little rest, it's fine. I went to the doctor. I'm telling him about my knee for the last three weeks. I'm like, is this doctor even listening to me? Like I need that. Some, anyways, that's another story. 
I felt like she was just telling me, like, you know, just stretch it out. You'll be all fine. Bro, it hasn't been right for five months. Anyway, that's another story. I'm so glad that you've been listening to the first part of the sermon. This sort of production does require some financial cost. If you'd like to reach more young adults with this across the world, would you consider giving at praxisministry.org? You can select the Praxis Young Adult Envelope. Enjoy the rest of the sermon. But you see, in this situation, we realize that there doesn't seem to be a timeline for these people exactly but it's pretty similar here it tells us that this king will be humbled he will be humbled so what does daniel then and his buddies those who stand on christ's side do in a situation when it seems as though the power struggle is completely off balance what do you and i do when we're in a situation where it feels as though we are the minority and someone else is over us. Well, let me give you a couple steps that I want to encourage you with when you feel as though you're in a situation that you don't have much control over. The first thing is do not complain to everyone around you. You know, it's interesting. I, when I hear couples break up, man, I'm bummed for them. Like, man, you're great people. And then all of a sudden, you know what? I didn't even like her anyways. And let me tell you why. She did this, and he was like that. And oh my goodness. And then I'm like, wait, time out. Do you realize you picked that person? That says something about you. Oh. You don't want to, you need to learn how to break up well. You don't talk smack about them after things are over. Like it's one thing that, you know, okay, talk to your best friend. Okay, listen, this is why I didn't want to, okay. But when they start sharing that everywhere, then it's just like, something doesn't seem right here. Didn't look right. You see, the thing is, when you're in those situations, you can't just be the loud mouth, frustrated. Uh, no, what happened here? Daniel was doing his business. He was still being faithful. He was still helping. He was trying to find ways to be a blessing to a king who was over him and was leading the people astray. Daniel realized that when he was in this situation, he could do one of two things. He could be that complaining, loud person, or he could say, God, how can you use me here still? So step one, when you're in the power differential, ask yourself, Lord, what do you want from me here? How can I plant myself and still be faithful here? It might be in a relationship. It might be in a family system. It might be at school. It might be a friendship. It might be somewhere, maybe an employer. Ask yourself, God, how can I still be faithful and still be used by you here in this moment? Second thing is this. Daniel had the opportunity to speak up. It's a hard thing when you feel as though you're here in the power system and someone's up there to speak up. It's really tough. What are you going to do? He could kill him. He literally could bring out the order, get rid of this guy. Out of here. Absolutely, that could happen. But there have to be moments in your life when you recognize that faithfulness to God outweighs the balance. And that in your mind, you recognize 
that the kingdom of God has to be primary in your heart and mind too. I love how Pastor Charles Stanley says this. He says, obey God and leave the consequences to him. There has to be a place in your heart and mind where you recognize it doesn't matter if the power differential seems off. Lord, I've been faithful. That was step number one. I've been faithful. I haven't, mur- I haven't been the... Comp- but now, Lord, as I'm speaking up for you in this situation, God, give me the courage to obey your voice and to leave you with what happens after this. You know, it's a sad thing when the consequences of our actions, our poor consequences of our poor actions, really define our life. One of our young adults that was here in our community some years ago finds himself to this very day in San Quentin prison. I get a call from him once a month and we talk. Pastor Phil, so good to hear from you. Man, wonderful. What's going on in your life? How's this? How's that? It was a sad day. I remember seeing him when he was going in. Group of us kind of surrounded him, cried together, prayed together. He felt horrible for what he had done. It was a power differential. Older guy, early 20s, a girl that's 17. They did some inappropriate things together. Handcuffs on him. I was wrong. He admits it. He cried about it. He wished he could do something to make amends, but there's nothing he could do besides serving the time. You see, the power differential can also be when you are the person who's above and you're looking down. And the question this text also points to us is the fact that when we are in positions of authority over people, will we use that authority for God's glory? Or will we not? This was a painful situation. This young guy is broken. He ruined a young girl's life. He has to live with that for the rest of his life. She has to live with that pain for the rest of her life. He's trying to make amends. He's putting his life back around. He's getting into confessing these things. He actually did that pretty quickly after. And I can see a change in him when we talk. But still, when we are placed in positions of authority, we have to recognize with great authority comes great power and great responsibility. Each one of us are placed in a situation right now where you will become leaders in our community. You have to recognize that God expects so much from you in these spaces. The text emerges here that the the Lord yearns that this king recognized the authority he has. And he tells them there's something he can do to correct this because he wasn't using his power well. Listen to this, verse 27. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what's right. Each one of you are in a power position in your own life to control yourselves. There's no one else around you, but you and I have to learn how to control me. I got to learn how to have self-discipline over my life first if I'm going to be placed in any position to help lead and guide other people too. This passage points to the fact that God 
expects much from us. But he also knows that there is great mercy. Because the text points out the fact that this king was not living up well to God's expectation of him. And he told him, listen, I know you haven't been doing this thing well. I know you haven't been leading these people well. These are my people. These are my children. They were in my promised land that I had for them. I expect you to treat them better. But I want you to know that if you renounce your sins by doing what is right, your wickedness, by being kind to the oppressed, then your prosperity will continue. Wow. That is mind-boggling to me because sometimes I get angry by God's mercy. I get frustrated by his love. Frustrated in the fact that people that I don't think deserve it get it by things that they've done, they seem to get it right. And I'm like, God, wait a minute. And then I look at myself. And I think to myself, well, I deserve it. I should get it. I've done good. And then the Lord, when he flips open the, the books, and he's like, let's talk about that. That's a really painful space to be in. It's a really hard space to be in. But there's a whole other dimension that we need to talk about tonight for, for a couple more minutes here. And that's the fact that Daniel had to speak truth about the king's eventual demise. You see, in this world, we seem to be living in a postmodern, post-Christian context that doesn't believe in heaven or hell, doesn't believe in God or angels or demons. Talk about Halloween coming up. Listen, those things are real. And there is a place that will emerge as Seventh-day Adventists in our biblical understanding about the state of the dead. Listen, people die, they're resting when Jesus comes, but there will be an utter disruption. Some people will not be resurrected again for eternity. There is an end to some if they do not choose to renounce their sin. The hard thing is that each one of us is called to speak truth to those who are in power. The book of Ezekiel chapter 3 tells us through the prophet Ezekiel a very hard teaching. Listen to this in Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse 18. When I say to the wicked person, you will surely die and you do not warn them or speak out to dissuade them from their evil ways in order to save their life, that wicked person will die for their sin. I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn that wicked person and they don't turn from their wickedness or from their evil ways, they'll die. But you'll be saved and you will have saved yourself though. Verse 21 but if you do warn even the righteous person not to sin, and they do not sin, then surely they will live because you took the warning, and you're going to be saved too. Here, the prophet Ezekiel gives us incredible counsel for a generation that doesn't believe in anything mysterious or God or heaven or the eventual demise of a place that will be called hell at one point. Each one of us will have to be called to speak the truth that God loves 
every single person. The Bible tells us that Jesus wishes that nobody would perish. Nobody. Not one. God's heart of love is that none should pass. They are his creation, his creatures, his children that he bled for and died. You think God wants to kill anybody? No. No. I would never, ever think of doing what the ancient pagans did when they sacrificed their children to the gods. I would never do that. And so if we realize that God's love is for all of humanity, then we owe it to them to speak truth to them as hard as the message is. Because the message is really hard. Some of us have rarely ever even spoken that message to our own selves. Bro, I've got to accept Jesus. I've got to repent of my sin. I've got to confess this before the Lord. Father, would you save me? Would you wash me clean? Would you wipe away my desire for that which is not of you? God, would you give me the strength to live into your holy calling for my life? And after you have done that, then, friend, you've got to have a heart for those who are not close to the household of God. You've got to have compassion for those who, I know some don't like this word, but will eventually be lost. We have to have a heart for those who need to be drawn closer to the kingdom. And some of you are going to say, well, pastor, how can you be judging people and know who's lost? And I don't. I do not. But I do know when people are in despair in their own life. And when I see them falling to the wayside, making foolish decisions, I know that they are probably not walking as close to Jesus as they could. And so I don't judge whether they will be lost or not, but what I will say is, I know Jesus has better for you. And I want to tell you about that. I want to usher you into something. You think it was easy for Daniel to tell the king who could wipe him out that his eventual place where he's going to be going is a demise? You think that was easy for Daniel? <sighs> Absolutely not. But how much more for us when we're talking to one of our friends? How much more when we're talking to one of our brothers or sisters? How about, how about a best friend? How about someone you're dating? How about a person you're married to? Now, I don't say that I know how to talk to people perfectly by no means. And by no means do I know how to approach the subject always in the perfect way. There was one time I, I realized I shared the gospel with someone in a way that I could see made them kind of feel uncomfortable. Absolutely. That happens at times. But I kept at it with them, got to share, do a little study, talk about it further. And you try. The fear of failure is not enough to push you away from sharing the gospel. So friend, I want to encourage you with this story to recognize, sure enough, this king didn't take the warning. He didn't. And the fact is, verse 33, immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. 
He was driven away from the people. He ate grass like an ox. His body was drenched with dew in the heaven. His hair grew like the feathers of an eagle, and his nails grew like claws of a bird. Literally, some psychiatrists reading the passage have given commentary to this. There is a, literally a condition when someone becomes animal-like and loses their senses. Literally, that's what this king experienced. Imagine how embarrassing that was for him. And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, now listen this, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. And I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. There will come a day when every single one of us must bow our knee before the Lord. I'm going to call the band to come up. There is coming a day when each one of us will need to bow our knee before Jesus, to confess our sin before him. But the Bible also tells us that every knee will be bowed, whether they want to or not. I want to fall to my knees willingly tonight. I want to fall to my knees because, Jesus, this is the time of your mercy. This is the time when you will bring healing and restoration to my life and the life of my friends who I yearn to be drawn closer to you, that they would feel peace in their life in the midst of this chaos, that they would stop with the spaces that are hurting themselves and others. God, I do not say that with any pride or nor do I say it because I'm perfect, but Lord, I want them to be drawn to the one who is perfect. And so Father, tonight, I pray over my brothers and sisters who are here. God, may they sense that they are influencers for the kingdom, that they are called to speak truth to those who are in power. And they're even called to speak truth to those who are lost. Father, help us believe and understand that we do not live for just such a time here on this earth for a couple years, but there is an eternity waiting for us. And so, Father, draw us closer to your heart of love. Draw us closer to understand the incredible, enormous mercy you have for us when we repent. That we are all equal before you. And, Father, tonight my prayer is that you would do two things. That you would bolden my friends who are here that are afraid to speak about you. And then secondly, God, that you would forgive every single one of us that we we would all sense that you are for us and not against us, that we would sense your heart of compassion over our weaknesses, and that you would give us the ability to overcome in your strength. Father, we thank you for Daniel's example of faithfulness. We thank you for creating such a story of a man who could stand in exile and could be an example to each of us. We thank you, Father, that you're calling us to be such a person, faithful in a post-Christian world. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Night Church Podcast. We hope you've been blessed by this sermon, and if you have, maybe you can share this with a friend. 
If you'd like to stay in touch, you can follow us on social media at Praxis Ministry or come visit us in Loma Linda on a Friday evening. We'll see you in the next episode.